All right, all right. How y'all doing? Doing okay? Good, good. All right. So uh, thanks for your prayers. I'm feeling 50% better than I did last week, which is awesome. All right, which is why I have this. They tell me two things. Drink this because there's honey in it. Mm. And don't yell. <clears throat> so, because <clears throat> I'm trying to sustain my voice here, so... I'm not allowed to yell for two weeks, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I'll be about four minutes in, and I'm going to be screaming at you. Anyways, <clears throat> we'll see how it goes, but thanks for your prayers. Okay, my name is Mark. If you're new, uh, you have no idea what I'm talking about, so who cares? Uh, welcome to Village Church. I'm one of the pastors here, um, and uh, we are in the midst of a series called The Problem of God, and we're answering all these massive questions about uh, Christianity, that people wage against it, that skeptics ask. If you're a skeptic, awesome, glad you're here. Uh, and we hit all these different ideas of sex and hell and, and science and, and all the, God's existence and so on. And so this week we're hitting the issue, uh, last week we hit hypocrisy, this week we're hitting the issue of exclusivity. And, and obviously when we're answering these questions, uh, people want to know the answers. And so you've brought friends and family, and, and maybe you're just a skeptic, you're exploring Christianity, awesome, glad that you're here. But that means the church grows. So we, we know since we launched in the fall, there's about 800 to 1,000 more people uh, here um, uh, attending the services than there were in August. That means there's more. That's awesome. Uh, we praise God for that. That's why we do these things, because we want people to meet Jesus. We really believe there's life uh, found in him and, uh, and that he, he repurposes our life. Uh, but that means there's more work to do in regard to serving. And so if you're here and you're a Christian uh, and you call Village Home and you're like, hey, I've been sitting around, I don't really serve or do anything, uh, this is an opportunity for you. At all four campuses, we need people in production and parking and kids ministry and greeters and connect desks and, and all kinds of different ways to serve. So if you presently don't serve even prayer ministry, if you presently do nothing, we don't believe in religious consumers, right? One of the things that gives Christianity a bad name is that people are just consumers of religious goods and services. They just attend five different churches, don't give any money, don't go to a community group, don't serve, don't do anything. And what we want to do is actually buck that entire narrative against the culture and say, no, Christianity is about serving people. Jesus Christ, the center of our faith, got down and washed the feet of his disciples. And so you and I, as representatives of Jesus, need to be able to serve him. So we come to church and we come to serve people, not to be served. And so if that is your reality, we need you in all those different ministries. So whatever campus you attend, grab a Connect card, fill it out, say, I'd love to serve, get in touch with me, and we will get in touch with you. That would be awesome. Now, here's the issue with exclusivity. It's one of the maybe, maybe top two issues in a culture like ours in modern times in Canada where people look at Christianity, so maybe other than hell, exclusivity is the biggest issue because what they say is it's completely wrong for Christianity to claim that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Now, it's clear that Christianity believes this. I remember when I first started to come to the church or, and people started telling me about Jesus in high school, I didn't grow up in the faith at all. And so I had to wrestle with it. And I came across passages like John 14, where Jesus looks and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then he says this, and this scandalized me. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's the issue. That's the problem. That's the scandal of Christianity. That the implication is the only way 
that humankind, disconnected from the God of the universe through sin, can connect back with that God is through Jesus, which means by default that every other religion is wrong. And so what we've got to do, when I started wrestling through this, I thought, my gosh, this is so offensive. This is so scandalous that what we're saying is that uh, any other religion, any other worldview, any other path, because here's what Canada loves to say. We love to say that every path is the same. It just leads to God, but it's just a different way. And so you have truth, and your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. And there's not one way to God. There's lots of ways to God. There was a McLean's article done that I've shared with you recently that talked about the fact that 30% of Canadians were most uncomfortable around evangelical Christians, a similar percentage as other untouchables, as drug addicts and child abusers. And one of the reasons was is because we were seen as narrow-minded, bigoted, and exclusivistic. Of course, inclusive means we include you in your views and your way is the right way, and exclusive means there's some ideas that are wrong and we're gonna exclude some ideas as ways to get to God. And so Canadians push back against this, and they say we want all ways to be just different paths to God. So what do we do with this? Well, the first thing we have to do with it in answer to it is to recognize that it is a logical impossibility that all the different pathways lead to God. In the study of logic, there's something called the law of non-contradiction which is two opposite ideas cannot both be true at the same time. And you and I know this. So here's the first thing we've got to understand. Similar to hell, the repulsion with exclusivity is very much the same as hell in the sense that it's not actually all that logical of a repulsion. It's, it's just that it puts a bad taste in our mouth. But what we've got to understand is just because something has a bad taste in your mouth doesn't mean that it's wrong or logically implausible. In fact, this view of exclusivity is the most logical as we're going to find. Because the law of non-contradiction says two opposite things cannot be true, both true at the same time. And so if my wife looks at me and says, you know, okay, Mark, you're wearing socks... And my daughter, Sienna, looks at me and says, no, Daddy, I reject this notion. You are not wearing socks. One of them is right. They both can't both be right at the same time simply because we want to get through Thanksgiving dinner, which is where this entire idea of inclusivism comes from. We live in a very, I mean, I was getting on a plane uh, from Dallas to home on Thursday. My wife and I were down there for a few days and we're coming back from Dallas. We're getting on the plane and my wife looked and she had a number on her ticket and a woman was sitting in her seat. Now this is basic math. You're in 16F, but I have 16F. Now the lady looked down and she said, this is my seat. And my wife said, no, it's my seat. Now at that point, when we enter the world of logic, one of those two people is right. Now, it's always going to be my wife anyway, but I'm just saying, I don't know, that's what I've learned after 20 years of being together, so I guess, you know. And, I, and I'm sitting there watching, I'm going, mm-hmm, you don't know, girl, what's coming, all right? She's right even if she ain't right, all right? So, but, and so she's like 16F, and my wife's like 16F, and so at this moment in the universe, one of these two people are right. Now, now we can pretend that both of them are right, so that we have a nice flight and everyone's happy and everyone's, you know, gets along. But we know in the realm of logic that that's impossible. And so the lady looked at her thing, oh my goodness, you're right. Because math is math. 
Math always is math. Two plus two is four. I don't care if I go to a culture and they say, that feels offensive to me. I would like to redraw the math chart. I would like two plus two to equal five. No one goes, you know what? Okay, that's how you feel. Different paths to the same thing. Math is math. It's 16F is either 16F or it's not. I, uh, there's no point in simply saying it's not real. Now, I, I was uh, reading an article uh, this morning that NASA is saying that they think they found that Earth has another moon, like a mini moon. All right. Um, yesterday, I was reading a NASA article. I don't know why I read these things all the time. I, my kids think I'm crazy. It's like every time we walk in, I look at the moon. I'm like, look at that moon waxing. Do you know, children? They're like, no, Daddy, don't talk about space. But they found a couple planets behind Pluto. And so th this is a couple days ago. They're like, oh, my goodness, we think there's more planets in our solar system. There's like, now, I'm looking at that stuff, and it's no use because I don't like it. It scares me because it means aliens exist. So that's where my mind goes. Now, it's no use me saying, no, they didn't find another moon. No, they didn't find planets behind Pluto because there's aliens. I just want it not to be true. There's no point in that. It's just true or it's not true. So the first fundamental issue we have to understand is that the law of non-contradiction says that two opposite things cannot be true at the same time. So really, now, I'm not, that doesn't prove that Christianity is the right way. It simply says either Hinduism is right or Christianity is right or Buddhism's right or atheism's right or agnosticism is right or Sikhism is right, but they can't all be true at the same time. And here's the fundamental mistake that we make. We live in a multicultural society, which is a beautiful thing. So what we do is we make this mistake. We mistake um, cultural pluralism with what's called metaphysical pluralism. And what I mean by that is, of course, we all live in a society, right? You go down to America and they call it what? A melting pot. You come to Canada, they call it a mosaic. The reason being, you go to America, you have to become part of that culture very quickly. You melt in and everybody becomes one. In Canada, we just let everybody keep the mosaic of their culture, all right? We're just like, hey, we're all here. It doesn't matter. We're all just a sweet mosaic of Canadians. I don't offend you. You don't offend me. Who cares? It doesn't matter. And that's what we do. And so the reality is it's beautiful because we have all these cultures. And of course, we have to live with these cultures. And we have to love people and walk side by side with people from different cultures and different religions and different ideologies. And that's beautiful. And Christianity, the first thing we've got to understand is there are times when you and I need to fight for those people. We always, listen, Christians need to fight for the rights of other religions to believe what they believe. You know that. And sometimes those religions and ideologies are trying to accomplish the same thing that Christianity is trying to accomplish. And we need to work arm in arm with those people. Sometimes, as um, John Stackhouse, who's a philosopher, he puts it this way. He says, there are times at least for this issue and on this occasion, Muslims or Mormons or Marxists might share the same goals and support the same plan as Christians. And in those moments, Christians have to learn that sometimes when it comes to issues like abortion, sexual identity, these things that we're dealing with in life, there are times when the church actually needs to come together with other people to accomplish certain goals. The reality is, and of course, we have to fight for people to believe what they believe. Right? I, I, I've told you this story that when I, was in, uh, when I was in college, I was almost finished college, 
And I'd been a TA, and I'd done lectures at the school, and I loved scholarship, and I became this guy who wanted to do a PhD, and I loved footnotes and reading all these things. And uh, <clears throat> my counselor came to me and said, you need to, you didn't finish your last uh, credit in high school. We just tracked it down. You have to go back to high school and finish your last credit. And so I went back to high school with a backpack on for a summer course in English. And I'm already done college, so I'm brilliant. Right? So I go back and I get to relive my high school days where I wasn't brilliant. All right? So I got to go in like Doogie Hauser, and I'm like, bam, I'm going to throw this down. And I start writing essays and these kids had never written an essay. I was like Chaucer. All right? I was like the man. And all these kids are like, I don't know. Mad Libs, fill in an adverb. I don't know what that is. And I'm like, play a boom, boom. All right, so I'm getting 100% on everything, but I'm not telling anybody. I'm just pretending I'm like a, you know, 17-year-old kid who doesn't know anything. And then the teacher finally figured it out. And so, but in, I remember that course, he used to slam Christianity and slam religion. And one day I arrived late and this Muslim girl in the class ran up to me crying and she said, I said, what's wrong? I gave her a hug. I looked at her. I said, what's wrong? She said, he just spent the last 20 minutes slamming Islam, telling me I don't have any, uh, I have no idea what the Quran says. I have no idea. And so I went in and took him aside. I said, listen, you can't slam this. You have to understand. You can go, you can, you can make fun of me. I don't care. But don't go after her. And I had to defend a Muslim. That's the role of the church in the world. But here's the problem. So we have a cultural pluralism. That's beautiful. We need to do that. Here's the mistake we make. We jump from cultural pluralism into metaphysical pluralism, where we then say, not only will I defend your right to believe something, I will start to believe that that thing is true. That's the flaw. We, can, we need to defend people who have different beliefs than us, but we don't need to jump into a world where we then say, hey, I believe what you believe is actually true. That's the flaw. And Christianity comes out of the gate and says, actually, there's only one name, Peter says in Acts chapter 4. There is one name under heaven by which men can be saved, and his name is Jesus. That sin separated humankind from God and that Jesus came and died on a cross, lived a perfect life, rose again from death, that's the only way we can get back to God. It's not by working for it. It's not by going and doing all these things for God. It's about what God has done for you. It's not because you're good. It's because God is good. It's not because of you. It's in spite of you. But that message pushes up against the entire cultural ethos of Canadian mentality. Here's a couple of quotes that capture this. Rabbi Shmuleo Bataik says this, I'm absolutely against any religion that says one faith is superior to another. I don't see how that is anything different than spiritual racism. My position, <clears throat> uh, Gandhi said, is that all great religions are fundamentally equal. Oprah Winfrey, <clears throat> um, theologian, says, one of the biggest... One of... One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. This is captured perfectly in that movie Ricky Bobby, where Ricky Bobby gets on fire in his car and he starts running around in his underwear. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, he, he starts calling out. He says, Allah, help me, right? He's saying, Jewish God, help me. Two of which don't like each other, by the way. Um, Tom Cruise, use your witchcraft on me. 
Oprah Winfrey, help me. What's he doing? He's hedging his bets. He's saying, maybe if, if this God's true, then they'll cancel. But I'm going to just believe, I'm going to throw it all to all of them. Hopefully one of them can help me. This is the philosophy of our culture. And Christianity pushes back against it and says, it's not actually true. Even though it helps you get through Thanksgiving dinner. Even though it helps you just get along at the office with people. Even though it sounds civil. What we can't do is jump into a world where we think civility then needs to create a reality of metaphysical, theological, philosophical beliefs. And so cooperation does not mean agreement. <clears throat> we have to understand that. <clears throat> when I first became a Christian, I became very good friends with a Wiccan witch. Her name was Heather. We were an interesting crew, me and her, because I was sitting there smoking my cigarettes and she was dressed in all black and I'd be sitting out front of the school and she'd be reading her witch books and I'd be reading the New Testament and we would talk about different ideas. And, and I would say, what is your view of the afterlife? And she would say, well, it's Summerland. And we go and do these things. And then she would say on a Friday night, I'm going to go have orgies down by the lake, by the fire. Would you like to come with me? And I'm like, Bleh! no, trying to follow Jesus. I'll pass on Summerland and orgies for now. All right, so, so but, the, but the reality is, but the reality, you're like, orgies, he said that twice in church. That's three times now. Uh, so so uh, the reality is, though, you, I, I, one of us, we can, no, Heather and I, would she would talk about Summerland, and, and, and I would talk about uh, heaven and Jesus. And, but, and here's the thing, we loved each other. We got along. I, wouldn't, I, I would be there for her through anything. She would be there through me, for me through anything. But here's what we never did. We never said that both of us were right. At the same time, that, because that's dumb. That's just two people then just trying to get along and be civil with one another. But it's fundamentally flawed when it comes to the realm of logic. Timothy Keller gives a similar, similar example. He's a pastor in New York City. Obviously, multicultural hub of the world. And he said, as a pastor, he was invited to be on a, on a council at a university with a Jewish rabbi and a Muslim imam. And they went and they went to talk about faith. And Tim Keller writes this. He says, we all agreed on the panel with the statement that if Christians are right about Jesus being God, then Muslims and Jews fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. But if Muslims and Jews are right that Jesus is not God, but rather a teacher or a prophet, then Christians fail in a serious way to love God as God really is. They can't all be right. And then Keller says this, several of the students were quite disturbed by this because to insist that one faith has a better grasp on truth than others was seen as intolerant. But here's the mistake we make. Richard Mao, who's a philosopher, says this, Christian civility does not commit us to a relativistic perspective. Civility doesn't require us to approve of what other people believe and do. It's one thing to insist that other people have the right to express their basic convictions. It is another thing to say that they are right in doing so. This is what you and I have to understand. Not everybody's right about God. And, and if I, was, I, was with a, I had a meeting with a guy yesterday. I was hanging out with a guy yesterday. Seek background. We're talking about faith. He asked me what I did for a living. So we're hanging out, and I'm talking to him, 
and uh, raised as a Sikh, but has left all that behind, doesn't believe in God anymore, doesn't believe in the afterlife anymore. But then through the conversation, he starts talking about which level of hell he'll end up in. If they, you know, And he says, you know what, I'm a good guy, and so, yeah, I'll pro- I know I'm not going to heaven, but I'll probably end up in like level two of hell, so that's not actually... And he looked at me with such authority, and he said, Mark, hell's not actually that bad. you got to understand this, and level two ain't that bad. And I'm sitting there going, where are you coming up with any of this? You're just constructing, this is what's terrifying. You're constructing a worldview based on nothing. No sacred writings, no historical moment, no authoritative meta-narrative over your life. You're just coming up with stuff from whatever the pizza you ate last night is giving you feelings toward, randomly just plucking ideas out of whatever you want and constructing them. And one of us, listen, here's the key point. Atheists say that, that all religions are wrong. Pluralism and inclusivism say that all religions are right. That's nuts. Because either he was right, or I was right, or both of us were wrong. But don't walk in the room and go, you're both right. Let's go out and have a meal. So we all get along with each other. I don't know what this was. This is like, I was down in Dallas. It was like the double guns. <laughs> I just ran out. Um, we can't come to the conclusion that both of us were right. Both of us are either dead wrong or one of us is right. And this is the thing we've got to come to terms with as a culture. That when we try, here's the great irony of the inclusivist position. Here's what it does. Because here's what you've got to understand. Every worldview is actually by default exclusivistic. Right? Islam is very exclusivistic. You have one God, one prophet, you do these things and these five pillars, and that's Islam, and everybody else is wrong. Right? Hinduism has its views on God and the afterlife. Uh, uh, Buddhism has its views on God. Christianity, Judaism, they all, by default, differ from one another and thus exclude other ideas from being right. Every view is that. So here's the great irony about the inclusivist position. It's the most offensive position of all of them because it says that every worldview is actually wrong. And what it does, listen, in trying to include everybody, it excludes the exclusivists. And so in the moment of there's a good heart behind it, which is we all should just get along and not war with one another and hurt one another and marginalize and oppress one another, and I get all that. But the moment you want to say that inclusivism is actually the right way, two things happen. You exclude the exclusivist, which is very intolerant and judgmental and narrow-minded of you. But the other thing you do in the same vein is you say that your view on all religion and all truth is actually right and everybody else's is wrong. And you, in that moment, I mean, there's, you know, the analogy. I remember when I became a Christian, people would throw this at me. The analogy of the four blind guys and the elephant, right? Where four blind guys walk into an elephant and they're touching the elephant and one guy's got the tail and one guy's got the ear, one guy's got the trunk, one guy's got the foot. And, and somebody says, well, what are you holding right now? And the guy says, I'm holding a whip over here. And he's holding the tail. Another guy's holding the ear. I got sandpaper. One guy's holding the trunk. He's like, I'm holding a tree. 
And people use that analogy and say, this is religion. This is just all the different religions trying to find their way to God. They're just blind. They're trying different things. They're doing different things. And here's the problem, though, as uh, Leslie Newbegin points out. He says this, the story is constantly told in order to neutralize the affirmation of the great religions, to suggest that they learn humility and recognize that none of them can have more than one aspect of the truth. But of course, the real point of the story is the exact opposite. The story is told by someone who can see and is the immensely arrogant claim of one who sees the full truth all the world religions are only groping after. It embodies the claim to know the full reality which it claims that religions can't. The story's told from the perspective of someone who can see, who can, who's saying, so in that moment when you say nobody is allowed to have a comprehensive view of reality, you are claiming to have what? A comprehensive view of reality to which you are allowing no one else to have. And if you hold a worldview that contradicts itself like that, you have to abandon it. It doesn't work in real life. And so you have to begin to say, what is actually true then? Not just what gets me through Thanksgiving dinner. What's actually historically true? What is actually right? People used to throw this idea at me too. They used to say, yeah, Mark, okay, okay, fine. But here's the reality. The only reason you're a Christian, and these, my friends and family throw this at me. The only reason you're a Christian is because you were born in Canada. If you were born in Saudi Arabia, you'd probably be a Muslim. Ergo, your Christianity's not legit. We all just need to chill with all the truth, going after truth, and just admit all of us just have different paths and we're all grabbing at the elephant. Now, here's the problem with that. Alvin Plantinga, who's a philosopher, <clears throat> he points out the irony of this. And he says, well, first, that's just a sociological observation. It actually doesn't prove Christianity is wrong. It's just telling me where I'm born. So it doesn't, that's not actually a thing. It doesn't do much other than tell me where I'm born. But the second point Plantinga makes is he says this. Suppose we concede that if I had been born of Muslim parents rather than Christian parents, my beliefs would have been quite different. The same goes for the pluralist, though. If the pluralist had been born in Morocco, he probably wouldn't be a pluralist. Does it follow that his pluralist beliefs are produced in him by an unreliable process? You wouldn't even be an inclusivist if you weren't Canadian. Does that mean inclusivism's wrong? And so what we've got to do is try to understand and be self-aware of the things that we're coming at this question with and begin to understand that based on logical impossibility because all the religions, by the way, I mean, all the religions, when people say all religions are true, all of them are right. You know, uh, John Lennon has this great quote when he said, I believe all the religions are true. Jesus, Buddhism, Muhammad, what they taught was right. And it's like, do you under, what, once you get underneath, like the, the surface level of the golden rule, all religions teach opposite things, contradictory things, things that counter one another at every level. And it's silly of us to look and go, no, they all kind of teach the same stuff. That's what people say. Oh, all religions, they all teach the same thing. Until you begin to realize, no. Actually, there was a, there was a poem uh, by a guy named Steve Turner. He's a, uh, he's a satirist, and he talks about the idea 
He says, uh, it's talking about kind of the postmodern mindset. He says, we believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the ones that we read <clears throat> were. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. <laughs> and then he ends the poem by saying, we believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth, except the truth that there is no absolute truth. We gotta understand the contradiction of our own worldview and begin to try to think outside of it and go, let's not be naive and start to say silly things like all religions are the same or all religions go to the same. Listen, nothing is gonna, I know you do that because you don't wanna be offensive, but sit down with a Muslim and tell him, don't worry, all Jews are going to be in heaven with you. Sit down with a Palestinian. Sit down with, I mean, it's the ultimate effect. These people have lost their, their lives. Their parents, their grandparents have fought and died and been martyred for causes. And then we come in and go, oh, don't worry. We have a comprehensive vision of reality. We've got a new idea. And it's everybody's the same. We're all going to be in heaven together. Kumbaya, holding hands together. Nothing is more offensive to 99.9% .9 of the world. But I know you sitting in a Starbucks drinking a latte in your educated, Western, democratic mind think you've just liberated humanity. And in that moment, you've enslaved it. So we begin to go, okay, all, religi all religions aren't the same. You know, there are better ideas than other ideas. See, when we say something silly like all religions are the same, what do we mean? Do we mean the Amorite religion back in uh, the time of the Old Testament that used to take children and rip their arms off? and beat a drum and throw them into the fire so that the parents couldn't hear the screaming of the live child in order to sacrifice to the gods? Do you mean Jim Jones? Where not, he convinced 900 people after they gave him his kids so he could have sex with all of them? 900 people drank a drink and all killed themselves under his ministry in Guyana? You mean those, those religions? Are those religions okay? No. Okay, so which ones then? The middle-class, domesticated, white ones, the ones that don't make us uncomfortable, which ones are you going to let in and say, those ones, everyone's right? Because remember, this position isn't that they're all wrong. That's atheism. That's a different week. This position is all of them are right. We're all together, and we got to understand some ideas are better than other ideas. We have to admit that. I think Christianity has a better origin story than atheism. Go back to week one or two. I don't think that the, the, the origin story of atheism gets us to a place where we have morality or we understand first causes. I think the Christian story has better answers. I think the Christian story has better answers than, than uh, karmic theology when it comes to evil and suffering. Karmic theology or, or pantheism or panantheism that believes that we are all part of God that we are all God and God is everything, that kind of philosophy can't answer the question of evil and suffering properly. 
Why? Because that means that evil and suffering is part of God. N.T. Wright puts it this way. He says, you really have to try hard to believe that there's divinity in everything, including wasps, mosquitoes, cancer cells, tsunamis, and hurricanes. It can't cope with evil. When everything, including yourself, shares in or lives within divinity, there is no higher court of appeal. When something bad happens, nobody can come and rescue you. If everything is God, then you have no one to save you from the disaster that is your life, of the world around you, the tragedies, the crumbling, the story's not going anywhere. It's not getting better. It's unraveling more. But don't worry. The cancer cells are all part of divinity. It's not a good explanation for evil and suffering. But Christianity, I think, has the best origin story, has the best answer to evil and suffering, where God didn't stay aloof. He entered into the pain and the tragedy of the world, and he let it do his worst to him. We have to start comparing ideas, not just live. It's so, see, here's the thing, and I'll end with this, because I just want us to to pray and think about the, the, the tragedy that is a worldview that refuses to face the tough questions and hide so quickly behind, well, let's not do the tough one. Let's just go, everybody's right. That in that moment, that is the pinnacle of not only naivety, but laziness. And I, I fear what's behind it is we don't want to be stirred up We don't want to be confronted and changed in our life and have to change the direction. And I've I've told you this story before about uh, my grandfather, who when he was, he was, he was, this couple had taken him and put him kind of in this, uh, in this house and kind of were taking his money. And my brother and I came in and we told him the truth because we believed the truth was going to set him free. These people don't actually like you, grandfather. They just want to take your money. And he said, I know, but I don't care. And the reason I don't care is because I get three meals a day, I have company, I have a nice house. And in that moment, I realized that truth can set you free. It can. Jesus said that. But sometimes we hear truth and we choose comfort over truth because it's going to get harder. Your sex life is going to be reorganized. What you do with your money is going to get reorganized. How you raise your family, how you do your job, how you run your company, everything is going to start to be confronted and changed and reworked, and that scares us. So instead of actually saying, I might be wrong about an idea, let me trace down history and figure out if Christianity is the most true of the marketplace of ideas. Instead of doing that, we go, I I know that that might be out there, but I get three square meals a day here. I'm good. I don't want this disruption. I don't want my heart and my life to be scandalized. And so I remember people look at me and they go, yeah, but you don't understand. See, Christianity, the reason you believe in it is because it's a crutch, because it's easy, because it's simple. People say that stuff all the time, right? The reason you believe in Christianity is because it's a crutch. You're so weak. You're such a coward that you, I'd say the opposite is true. Talk to the millions of Christians throughout history who got burned at the stake, eaten by lions. Talk to a high school kid today and ask him if Christianity is easier or harder than rejecting it. 
to actually have to try to be a disciple of Jesus in high school today, ask him whether it'd be easier to just not have to deal with that, easier or harder. And I would go, here's the easy position. Here's the cowardice position. The position that says, let's abandon the hunt for truth and hide behind everybody's right. Because then we don't have to have the tough conversations, man. And life and civility and the mosaic can continue on. And the waters won't be disrupted. There'll be no waves and no scandal in your life at all. And we can do that. But to be honest with you, that's the biggest tragedy of all of them. So, Father, I pray um, for our hearts and minds to actually be open to not what is easy. Jesus, when you came, you gave this, this crazy high bar, and you talked about the cost of discipleship. And you said that the cost of discipleship is everything. It's, it's carrying a cross. It's a whole life getting reorganized around the things that you're calling us to organize them around rather than just what we want to in our comfort. And so I just pray that, that you in your power, I know you can, Holy Spirit, I just pray that you in your power across the different campuses, people watching this, listening to this, you can burn through the reasons that they continue to doubt, the reasons they won't believe in you, the reasons that they hold inclusivism, metaphysical pluralism and inclusivism to be true in their life, that you would burn through it and cause them to doubt their own doubts, to be self-aware, and maybe be brought to a place where they really believe the words that you are the truth, you are the life, and that no one gets to the Father except through you, and they would understand that salvation is found in no one but you, and that they would actually give their life to you, cry out to you, understand that on the cross you took their sin and there is no other way. There's no amount of good they can do that you paid for it in full. You took the wrath of God on yourself in order to give us life and that that would burn in us and change us and we would leave changed men and women who understand that these ideas, these set of ideas are not only better, they're true and they're not only true, but they work to change life and create freedom from guilt and shame and our past and the things we're going through right now because you take it. Do that work among us, Lord, we pray and ask. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.